Well, happy Easter. It's good to see you. You know, from the beginning of time, humanity has been a part of a greater plan. For some of us, that is deep encouragement to who we are. To others of us, it's somewhat perplexing, even maybe confusing. I think for many of us, we like to know that there's a plan for our lives. But truth is, we would have liked to have had a say in it. We would maybe even like to be in control of that plan. And yet there is great comfort in knowing that God has always known our need and been prepared to help us in our time of need. Easter is that day that we come together and we celebrate the plan of God, knowing that humanity uh, would rebel, knowing that humanity would drift to itself. God had always planned to provide a way for reconciliation for us in our relationship with God to be restored. And so for many of us today, we've gathered today to declare that truth, that we believe that the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the good news for which we embrace. It is the gospel. It is the hope of our eternal glory and the forgiveness of our sins. And so when we pause in a day like today, it's good to be reminded of the price that was paid and the salvation that was given to us. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 5. It is, the, it is the sixth book of the New Testament, and it is actually a letter that's written to the early church in Rome, and it's kind of a discourse of theological truths to say, this is what we believe, this is what we understand, this is what our faith is built on. And that's why we call this series Doctrine. Because when you do a series on doctrine, what you're trying to do is take a building block of our faith and say, this is one of the big rocks that we put in the box that say, this defines who we are. This is a non-negotiable. This is part of our understanding. When we say we are Christ followers, this is that building block. Doctrine. Part two. Matter of fact, as a church, what we've been trying to do is take these building blocks so that we can have kind of repeatable series that can help us grow and mature as a church, and we would be able to go back to these understandings of faith and actually maybe share them with those who are learning with us. Romans chapter 5 starts this way. I'll be in verse 6 to kind of jump midstream into this conversation. Here's what Paul, the author to the church of Rome, here's what he's describing for us as something that we should hold on to. Verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pause there for a moment. I mean, you read this passage and there's so much that begins to stand out and pop out about our relationship with God, who we are, 
and who we are called to be. And it starts with this idea that timing is everything. I mean, you think about it for a moment. If you show up to a job interview uh, really early, uh, you can look desperate, right? And if you show up pretty late, you might as well just skip the interview. Timing is everything. And Paul starts by saying, at just the right time. And he is speaking about this hinge point experience, this watershed moment where Jesus becomes the centerpiece of all time and history. Everything about his death, his burial, and his resurrection becomes a defining point for humanity and the plan of God. Jesus dies our sacrificial death, a brutal death on a cross, publicly seen into the known world as a declaration of God's love and God's justice towards humanity. God anchored Jesus as the centerpiece so that we would recognize who we are and who we were created to be in God's love. And God's willingness was shown to help us when we could not help ourselves. God's willing, willingness to bear the burden of our sin, though we did not deserve it. And God's willingness to give his life, whether we would surrender to him or not. Some of us are thinking maybe in this moment, but we're described as powerless. Are we really powerless before God? Paul is not saying in this moment that we can't do nice things for our neighbors. Paul's not saying that we couldn't go out for the Boy Scouts and earn a badge. What Paul is saying is he is describing that in the scope of eternity, and in our ability to shift the moral value of our lives before God, we had no strength. This chasm that stands between us and God because of our rebellion towards him, not his angered heart towards us. But this chasm between us and God now stands. And while we might want to work and clean up our lives to get back to God, it is God's and God's alone that makes this way to us. So Paul describes us as powerless, not being able to change the scope of eternity because we are sinful and broken people. Paul goes on and later reminds us in different ways that we all fall short of the glory of God, that sin for us has missed the mark of both our character and our relationship with God. But there is good news. There is the gospel that Jesus himself lived a pure and blameless life, fully man, fully God, and his sacrifice on the cross has made that way possible. It's like that moment when you stand in front of a memorial, whether it's in D.C. or a local community, and you see that moment and you recognize that someone gave their life for our freedom, whether it was through the service of our country or in the service of our community. You stand in a very sobering moment realizing a price 
was paid that we might live in our freedom. Jesus gave his life on our behalf. And it is the freedom that we find to approach God, to fully experience his love, and to live out his mission and purpose on this world. The question is this then. What keeps us from recognizing our sin and need of God's salvation? I think in short, we do. We don't want to be told that we're powerless. We don't want to say that we've sinned. We don't want to be the kind of people that would admit we are broken and fallen before God. We like to prove to the world our strength and our sustenance, our power and our might. And we do everything we can in this world to present before everyone else our strength and our might and our ability. A simple way we see this is in our Instagram life, right? We like to instapose everything that we can to insta-present our best self to everyone else. But there's this chasm between Instagram and reality. I mean, let's take, for instance, if you want to put your office online. Oftentimes, in Instagram, it looks like this. It may look like it's put together and it's clean and everything's together. But the truth of the matter is, there's a jacket thrown. There is a backpack in the corner. There are books and papers and things everywhere because a used office is very seldom clean. But we like to let the world know that we have it under control. Or the family pictures. We like to present to everyone that everybody is smiling when the reality is we'd like to staple our kids to the ground and duct tape them just to get them to smile in place, right? Or maybe you're more like the world traveler. You want everybody to think that you've gone everywhere, everywhere in the world and it's been a blast. So you look like you have grabbed Europe by the tail and in reality, you are one stop away from getting left in a country. The reality of our lives is often very different than what we present to the world around us. And there's good news. You don't have to try and present yourself perfect, blameless, without sin. Because we couldn't do it anyway. And the death of Jesus provides that life for us. How can we read this passage without anything but recognizing the immense love of God? How can we read this passage without recognizing that the heart of God is that all might know his love? And though there is a chasm, though there is a separation, though our sin and rebellion is evident, God desires to pursue us and love us as we are and make a way for us. But what keeps us from recognizing our own sin and need for God's salvation? We do. And my hope is that today maybe we would pause and recognize our own struggle before God and surrender. Paul goes on to write when he says this in verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, speaking of the work of the cross, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son, meaning Jesus. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast or promote 
or brag in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. This paragraph packs so much into it. It begins to interweave words and phrases, kind of bind them together so that we might get an accurate picture of the immense love of God. We recognize God's love for us and him making a way, having Jesus be our savior. But now we recognize to the length by which God goes, this work on the cross, how far it reaches, how much influence it truly has to bring us into relationship back with God. But two words describe our relationship with God. The first was sinner. Our sin, our rebellion, our choices required for us the need of being saved. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died. The second, though, is enemy. Enemy. Now, I don't think any of us probably think of ourselves in that way towards God, that we have somehow picked a fight with God, that our rebellion now stands us against God. But the description of our sin and the chasm that is made separates us so far from God that any other word doesn't quite adequately embrace our separation. We fight for our way. We fight for our will. We pursue ourselves at such great length. We don't realize to the extent by which we are raging against the way and the will of God. And so Paul pauses for a moment. And he says, if you've been fighting God, whether you recognize it or not, God's love is so great that he would still give himself for you. But he explains it in the picture of his blood and our justification or reconciliation back to God. You know, when you open the pictures of Scripture and you start in the beginning of Genesis, you begin to realize that the relationship with humanity and God was a close and intimate relationship. Great trust and great rhythm was in their walk with God, meaning every day there was an interaction with humanity and God, and there was great trust. And then when they chose the pursuit of knowledge to know and become like God, they unraveled this peace. Sin entered the world. Our pride, our rebellion, our quest for greater power and knowledge suddenly shatters the the perfect nature of God's creation and sends it into a tailspin where sin and death begin to flourish. In those opening moments, the first sacrifice happens with leaves and animal skins. A price begins to be paid to cover their sin and shame. 
As you go through the, the pages of scripture, though, you begin to see this play out, that in, according to the law, the very character and nature of God, when we see our lives in the lens of who God's character is and who we are not, we recognize that there is a need for a payment for our sin. And so all throughout scripture, there are these animal sacrifices where we are given the opportunity to make restitution before God and therefore reconcile our relationship with God through a pure and blameless sacrifice. But every time we sinned, a sacrifice was required until the life of Jesus. See, before Jesus, all of humanity longed for a savior that would come and be the payment of all payments. Before Jesus, all of humanity longed for reconciliation between God and man so that creation could begin to be restored. And so when Jesus comes into our world, both fully God and fully man, he lives a pure and blameless life and his death becomes the sacrifice for every sacrifice, for every sin, the sin of the past, the sin of the present, and the sin of the future. And God's wrath is quenched in one sacrifice. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for many of us who came today to wear pastels and sing songs and celebrate with friends, we're here declaring that that moment, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus is what gives us confidence that we are forgiven, that we will have life everlasting, that we are a part of the solution to the restoring of all creation. And to those of us who have yet to accept we have to wrestle with, do we believe that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the watership moment of God, or do we not? Or do we not? 1 John 4, 10 says it this way, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Through the cross of Jesus, God's wrath is justified. Through the cross of Jesus, God's love is on display. And through the cross of Jesus, God's grace is given for everyone. Sometimes I think we get this backwards, though. You read Romans, and I think we see Jesus as being one who is just pleading for God, hoping that an angry, wrathful God would somehow soften his understanding of sin. But God's heart has always been to make a way. God's heart has always been to provide restitution. God's heart has always been that we would know his love. See, Jesus didn't come to change God's heart towards man, but rather to reveal it for what it is and always will be. God's heart is for justice, for salvation, and restoration of all creation. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we are rescued. And at just the right time, in the perfect moment of humanity, God made a way so that we might recognize our forgiveness of sins and the payment of our sacrifice. God rescues us. 
A real-time example of being rescued comes from my wife. My wife's character is very much like the heart of God. She, not only because she's a good woman, but she gets what it means to rescue. Several years ago, when my boys were young, meaning little, uh, we were at a friend's house in Florida. We were hanging out, having a meal. And like normal, I'm running my mouth, hanging out with people. And Christy's kind of got an eye on what's going on around the pool. Uh, Suddenly, we hear this little splash, and I think nothing of it, assuming that kids are going to get into the pool. And then I hear a very different splash, an adult splash. And I think that's odd because most of us are just standing in our street clothes. We're not ready to get in the pool. And I turn around, and my wife, fully clothed, fully dressed, is in the deep end, grabbing one of our boys and getting him to the edge. I had no clue. I didn't know anyone was in harm's way. But my wife in that moment did not look at my son and go, I I don't want to get in. I'm I'm concerned about what the chlorine is going to do to my clothes. I'm sorry, son, my my, my hair, I I really don't, the humidity in Florida is going to ruin it. I I don't want to get in. Without regard for herself, my wife jumps in so that my son is saved. It's the picture of God. That God, though perfect and blameless, without regard for himself, humiliated himself to death on a cross so that we might be saved and our sin would be paid for. God gave himself for us at just the right time. Maybe for those of you who have given your life to Christ, you think about that moment. It was just the right time for you too to recognize where you were, what was happening in your life, you responded in that moment because God reached you. When we look at this passage, we see it through the, through the lens of God. We look up and we realize that God's wrath is satisfied in Jesus. In view of others in the world around us, though, we recognize that God's work, God's love is put on display through this death on the cross. In the viewing of ourselves, of looking in, we recognize that God's grace is given through Jesus to us, to transform us. So for those of us who have given our lives to Christ, let me ask you this. What keeps us from boasting in the work of Jesus? Does our life tell a story about God's transformative work in us? If we have surrendered our life to Christ, it's not just a mental ascent, a belief. It's literally placing the trust, a life of surrender into the hands of God saying, God, use me, transform me, change me. Let my life be the testimony of your love. Now, there are a lot of things that we brag about in the world that we're a part of today. Maybe a good report card. Maybe a win in a sport, a promotion in a job, a long-standing accomplishment for our life. But all of those items pale in comparison to the eternal impact of Jesus' work by saving us for all of eternity. God's grace transforms who we were, who we are, and who we are intended to be. 
what keeps us from boasting in the work of Jesus? Oftentimes we do. Either because of the pursuit of our own personal accomplishments or the hesitancy to share to the world around us. What could it be like if we recognize the point of God's plan was for us to begin to have an accurate view of who we are before God? That God loves us, God saved us, and God paid our price. For us to realize the point of God's plan that we have a part in helping others see their value before God as well. What we know to be true about salvation is this, is that salvation, meaning Jesus himself, comes to change lives. Salvation has come to change my life and your life. Now, sometimes we're like, well, oh, oh, I, I just need to wait a little bit. I just need to get a couple things in place. We say that we know this to be true, and yet we hesitate, we wait. At just the right time, Christ died for us. And maybe today you're realizing for the first time not only what that sacrifice means through the person of Jesus, but you understand what that costs in the person of Jesus. The Bible reminds us if we confess with our mouth and believe with our hearts that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. And let me ask you, have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have you gone from believing in who Jesus is to surrendering your life before him? Aaron, our location pastor, already talked about this week that's coming up, April 18th. And one of the great public declarations of our belief in Jesus is found in our baptism in Jesus, a portrait where we are buried in the waters of baptism. Just as Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, we experience a spiritual death of who we were to live in the likeness of Jesus. Let me ask you, is today the day for you to accept the truth that Jesus loves you, has saved you through the cross, and has paid for your sins on the cross. Let's move to our time of response. We encourage everyone who's a part of First Christian Church, whether this is your first time to attend online or in person, or whether you've been attending with us for a while, to download our app. Uh, the reason we ask you to do that is because this is the place where we best respond in next steps towards God as a church and continue to engage in the work of the church. Some of us use it as simply just to take notes along with the message, to maybe ask some questions, to write down some thoughts and directions in your own journey. Some of us like it because there, we have videos that we've seen and we can share those with our friends. Others of us have liked the app because there are, there are moments that we take movements together as a church, whether it's a, a season of study or a season of prayer, and we engage together in that moment. 
But today I just want to ask you, do you need to take a next step? You know, this isn't the only room that's got a lot of people in it today. There's a lot of churches where people are putting their toe back in the water to say, is it safe? And I realize most of us are asking that question because we're trying to stay socially distanced. We're trying to make sure that we keep proximity from each other that allows us to be comfortable. But there's a greater concern about safety, I think, for most of us when we enter a building or online like this. Is this a safe group of people? And is this a God that I can truly be myself in front of and allow God to work in me and through me? It is safe. And if you have doubts and questions and you're confused about your faith, the next step is the appropriate thing to do. Maybe it's to ask a question. Maybe it's to sit down with a, a pastor or a friend. Maybe it's to, to take that next step of baptism. Maybe you're a, a student or a young adult and you've been wrestling with your, your own faith and you're saying, I, I think I need to take this step today at just the right time. Would you be willing today to use the app, to take a next step, to have conversation with us about what it means to pursue a life after Jesus or to share with a prayer request or to engage through serving. God is at work. He has always had a plan, COVID or no COVID, that Jesus would come and give his life that God's people would be the ones to continue that story, that truth of forgiveness and hope to the world. One of the ways that we celebrate that is in these emblems here, the bread and the juice. This is a moment for those of us who have given our lives to Christ, who have surrendered our lives to Christ, to say that we believe in this declaration. The declaration is that Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, he took the Passover meal that he celebrated in his tradition of the redemption of Israel and the delivery from God out of the hands of Egypt while they were in slavery. He took the bread that reminded them of God's deliverance and he instituted a new memorial. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat they did. And in the same way, he took the wine. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. Take and drink. Communion is a declaration that just as the blood was over the doorpost for the Israelites and they were delivered from the angel of death, Jesus Christ has now become our payment, our sacrifice for all of our sins and all of humanity. Jesus is our Savior and Lord. Last of all, I want to encourage every one of us who are part of FIRST to use the app to choose to give in response. This is the way that we help partner and engage and fuel the ministry of our church. Whether it's serving people in COVID, whether it's just advancing the gospel through some of our justice missions or international missions, or whether it's by advancing the multiplication of disciples 
into our community, we have the privilege to give of our own resources to see God work in us. If you don't use the app, you're welcome to use the give and respond boxes at the exits. But we now want to take a posture of continuing to respond in worship. So whether you've joined us at home or whether you're joining us here in person, let's stand, let's sing, and let's continue to respond.